Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Um, over the next probably week, you're going to see a podcast released almost every day. And that's because we are working through our backlog because I'm about to go do ayahuasca for the first time. Um, I'm going to be going to Soltara in Costa Rica and we'll be drinking four nights. And a part of me feels that I want to get these podcasts out because whatever version of me comes back, feels like it's going to be a new chapter. And so these episodes feel like they're going to feel like they came <clears throat> from a different person. And so I want to release them to you guys now. Um, also, I haven't been, I've been doing the dieta for ayahuasca for about five weeks now and um, haven't danced with LSD in probably about two months. Um, and I haven't been able to lean on a lot of my crutches, you know, that I think I use to get energy and um, to feed the stories that I tell myself that I have to ingest this thing or this thing to show up as well as I want to for these podcasts. <clears throat> and so doing these intros uh, on one of my last days before I leave feels like, you know, I'm kind of moving through that story that I'm seeing that I can produce and create things that I enjoy and that I'm proud of without having to lean on things like caffeine or, L or LSD. <clears throat> this podcast is going to be with my good friend, Josh Nordwick. Um, I met him through Aubrey Marcus's go for your win course. We were both in the first iteration of that course. And he has gone on to do some really amazing things. Um, he's been on the old show, the Metaprogramming Podcast, a couple of times. And like what he is doing in the world is phenomenal. Um, he has started multiple businesses. He went and did ayahuasca shortly after Go For Your Win. And he got the download that he needed to renovate a Sprinter van and drive all across the country podcasting and learning from experts when it comes to hunting and spirituality and just how to be in the body. And now he's returned home and he's opened up a local gym um, in the town that he came from, Missoula, and he's crushing it. Um, he's one of my favorite people that I met through Go For Your Win. He fucking has a fire burning inside of him and he and I have great conversations. So I think you guys will really enjoy this. And if you would like to support the podcast, I feel like the most direct way that you can do that is to go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Uh, when I reach out to PhDs and to authors and things like that, one of the first things that either their handlers or they will go look at to see whether or not this is worth their time is they will look at the amount of reviews that someone has on iTunes. So that's a really powerful way that you can help and also share the content that you think is dope. You know, if this episode speaks to you, share it on whatever social media platform you're most addicted to. And like always, thank you for listening. You know, it means a lot and your attention could be in a lot of different places. And I'm grateful that you chose to bring it here. Namaste. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you've been on here multiple times before, so I thought we should just get into a conversation instead of me 
um, you know, diving into your myth. And we were talking for almost like half an hour before we started. And we got to a point in the conversation that I think would be really helpful for other people to hear. And it's this idea between being a romantic or a sexual partner and being a healer. And that people who have the capacity to be healers, there seems to be a thing where they bring both energies into a romantic relationship. And it kind of, uh, you could say it ruins or decreases the polarity between the two. And there isn't quite that same amount of physical attraction. Um, what is your stance on this uh, idea right now? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, it was really insightful the first couple times you had me on, like uncovering the myth. And um, just wanted to say, like, the, the myth that I had was Simba back in the day. And, like, yeah. that's, like, fully taken place since that podcast. Like, everything from that podcast. And it's, like, now I'm, like, kind of on the return home, which is quite interesting. Um, but as far as the question you asked, I don't know, man. It's hard to say that I have a stance. But just, like, just now learning that the role of healer and the role of partner are two different roles, essentially. And if you get into a relationship based on, like, you're this person's healer, um, you're never really equals. And you can never really be equals because you're always the person that's helping them and you're going to be like in this role of this inflated role of being like the one that knows the way and like um, there's a certain lack of connection and understanding that can be had when you're trying to help somebody over something because you can't really be there with them completely because you're trying to get them through does that make sense it does and there's such like truly it seems that the place in our lives where we are going to learn the most psychologically is in relationships. And it's going to be in relationships with our family and in relationships romantically and eventually in relationships with our children. Like it really seems to be that the place in our life where the teacher is waiting for us is between people mm. because that's when you're going to see your shit and the thing that I am finding is that the more that I commit to admitting to myself what the truth is, and the more that I'm willing to admit to the other person in the relationship, how I see whatever it is that we're experiencing. So my version of the truth, the deeper and the more quickly I get to uncover my bullshit. Um, and are you familiar with internal family systems? Um, I'm not. One thing I want to make a note of, I do want to come back to the truth because uh, my conception and idea of truth, I know we both kind of learned a lot from Jordan Peterson in that sense, and mine's very much transforming um, over the past few months. So I do want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but no, I'm not I'm so familiar with internal family systems. What is that about? Essentially, it's a psychological framework that thinks of the mind as comprised of parts. And so there are different personalities inside of you and they're all kind of competing for, you know, the meat suit to do actions. So it's like and voice it, dialogue is how I'm familiar with that. For sure. So voice dialogue is underneath this umbrella and it all fits very nicely into Jungian psychology. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's this concept that you have parts. And a really interesting thing is like, if you commit to being in a honest relationship with anybody, it could be a friend or a family member or a partner, you're going to realize that you have different parts. That like there's a part of you that wants to show up to this relationship in complete love. There's a part of you that wants to like ruin it. There's a part of you that wants to run away. 
there's a part of you that wants to overly cling and like push it away. And it's, it's been an interesting exploration for me the last year or so to really try to articulate the parts that I can see are the most active and then to like give them names and then to like talk to them, you know, because the goal of Jungian psychology is to eventually individuate, to bring all these into one collective. But I feel like I'm very far from that and Mm -hmm. I have to become aware of the parts. But um, that's kind of a side note. What is your current conception of truth? What's been going on there? Oh, man, there's so many things from what you just said that I want to touch on real quick. <laughs> right, cool. um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the parts that, because you, I think you, I'd, I'd kind of come apart across it in a couple of journaling topics, but you introduced me to that. Um, we did some coaching together. Um, you were helping me through kind of a challenging time in my life. And I remember um, I set the goal to basically open up a community center where we were doing like movement and training and all these things. And I was just kind of reflecting back on when you said that, like, that that's like exactly precisely what I'm doing now. And I had to go through this period of like disintegration and, and differentiation between all my parts. Um, and tying that back in a couple of the parts um, that both of us have struggled with or are even currently struggling with is like the, the part of the healer and the part of the, the lover, right? Because those aren't precisely the same things. They're actually quite yeah, different. Um, and in a relationship, the healer um, in like a partnership, when you're with a partner, that it's, depolarizing and it's almost my my opinion on the role of a partner to heal someone is changing a lot because like you're naturally going to trigger each other and if the individual is willing to do the work to go into those triggers and understand like why they were triggered and like what that shit is and go through it um versus like coming into a big i'm going to heal you or i see your trauma and i'm going to heal it um and then you kind of because you have this intention which is it seems like a really good intention and it seems like it's for the best. Um, but I think it just creates a, a very interesting dynamic that like we were saying is depolarizing. Um, yeah. And a really yeah, interesting thing that I, what's the last thing you said? I was, I was just saying that, uh, that's something that I'm currently experiencing and, um, working on in, in a couple of, or one kind of main relationship or different women that I'm seeing. Cause I'm recently out of a relationship and I'm, I'm just now, like I took some time off completely just like to not interrelate. It was like abstinent. And then like now I'm starting to relate with women again. You know, I was just like, all I was going to do is focus on my work and now I'm coming back in, but I'm coming back with this new wisdom from my past relationship. That's kind of like simmered in over the past few months of just being by myself. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I want to kind of get on to this idea of truth for you. Cool. What's going it. on? Mm. I think there's this conception of like the truth is the truth, and it's this thing that's like objective, and it can be stated accurately, like this is the truth, this is not the truth. Um, and I'm starting to think of like how if I do that long enough and I, and, I, and I state and I speak the truth long enough, then eventually when I speak something about the future, I can speak truth about the future. You know, because I create that future because my like my word, my commitment to the truth is so strong that it starts to come with me in a way. And Interesting. The word, so and a the quick thing. Like, go ahead. A quick thing that I want to note is I don't think that when I talk about speaking the truth that I'm getting at objective truth. I think really what it is is <clears throat> admitting the truth of your bias. So like, how do you see this? Because uh, I don't think we can speak objective truth. I think we can attempt to get closer to speaking our subjective truth. 
Okay, that's, that's a good way. Um, the objective subjective, yeah, I agree with you there as well. Um, I remember we've kind of had that conversation. It's a pretty deep rabbit hole he had with that, um, <laughs> that one scientist about like humans can't really um, see. They're not really, we're not evolved to understand. Albert Hoffman, yeah. Yep, and, I'll, and I buy that, and that, that seems completely reasonable to me. Um, but I'm speaking more so about like saying something that isn't maybe yet true. But saying it with the force and the power of my word and the, the commitment and discipline to making it true. For sure. Um, yeah, like you're going to manifest it. Yeah. So one of the, I did this exercise with all the people um, in my, a lot of my clients. I'm doing this, um, basically this marketing system with my new um, movement and mindset training studio where I'm having people come on for a six-week challenge. And then uh, part of that challenge, a lot of them sign up for a year-long membership. And one of the things they do is we call it remembering the future. Um, so they write three mm. things that we go over all their goals they want to accomplish and they reframe those as if they're things that they already remember. I love and, it. And then, yeah, so these are things that they remember aren't exactly things that they remember. So that's probably not true, but we're, we're putting them out there as if they're going to make them true. You know, so it's, it's seeing like when I, when I say something, um, if I, if I'm true to my word and I stick with my word and I do the things that I'm going to say on like on a micro level, then when I start to say big things, it's like it's almost like the universe gets in an alignment and like does what's necessary to manifest them. And Absolutely. I like really have more power over the future with my word. Yeah, and truly what I think that this is getting at is that there's lots of techniques that you can do, but essentially you are reprogramming the thinker to provide a new program to the prover. You know, mm, this is coming Isaac. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And like truly like I've been thinking about this a lot, man, and I think the amount of power that we have each day simply just from our brain being alive, like the, the amount of computations that are being made every day are huge. And most people have undisciplined minds and scattered minds and non-directed minds. And so they're not harnessing. And like this is, I, I think you can come from a, from an entirely scientific, materialistic standpoint. I don't think that is that encapsulates how the world works, but I think it's a very good base. And you can look at it just from that base and think about your mind is like a GPS system. It can be, but you have to give it coordinates. And But what, what most people are doing throughout their day is they're giving them their unconscious mind 47 different coordinates every hour. Like, oh, I want this. 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 And you don't actually make any progress. Like if you think about a car that's changing directions every 0.3 miles, it's not going to get anywhere really. And, but if you give your mind a specific goal, you start to orient all that cognitive machinery towards creating it. And we're so much more capable than we think we are. Like truly, like no bullshit, woo-woo, this is the secret. Like we are so much more powerful than we think we are. And if you can anchor yourself to any technique that truly helps you envision a potential future and you do that consistently, you will begin to make micro and macro and non-causal apparently effects in the universe to bring that into being. Mm. Yeah. Hundred percent, man. I think the power of like visualization and things like that are really powerful too. Like neurolinguistic programming, which is kind of like what we're working on with like the remember the future exercise. Um, one of the things that I've gotten really, really deep into, um, and it ties back into this, is like training people to get into flow state. 
So training them to get peak levels of nervous yeah. system activation um, through essentially f- complex forms of movement. Um, but constantly pushing them just past their current skill level. And one of the things that happens in flow state is you have this warped sense of time. Um, so you can be like one of the things I have people share at the end of all my classes. And one of the things we've always talked about, like, that went so fast. That went so fast. I'm like, yeah, you're in flow state. It was eternal. Like it was without respect for time. You know? So I think when you start to to pull time out of the equation in certain things, when you start talking about like remembering the future, that's completely like paradoxical. When you when you first look at it, like how could you remember the future um, based on our like conception of time and how we how we see time going back to like Prometheus rising as like time binding creatures, um, creatures that are binding these events to this certain um, linear time that's happening. But there's obviously altered states of consciousness, um, especially um, through meditation, through movement training, through anything that gets you into a flow state, which is like psychedelic experiences as well, um, that create these timeless experience. And the potential for a person who's experienced timelessness or even can create a practice of experiencing timelessness to let go of the constraints of time in certain ways and be okay in that, that space. I feel like there is something that I am missing. I, I, I feel like when you talk about remembering the future, you're implying something much grander than I am picking up. Does that resonate? And if so, can you clarify for me? Yeah. So I think, I think there's this, this practice of like questioning the basis of time a little bit. If we're going to go like really in depth into it, um, like let's do time it. Is, Time is true to our, our, in our perspective. Like, yes, yesterday was before today, and then tomorrow is coming after today. Like, there is this linear aspect to time. Um, but I guess I'm just curious, like, how much of that is an objective truth that actually exists, and how much of it is just a way for us to exist in this reality, for us to, for this reality to be a potential for us to actually exist in, um, and like the self being timeless, right? That's like that's one of Jung's core ideas. Um, is that it's always existed, it always will exist. It's, there's no beginning, there's no end. You're never born, you can never die. Um, that's kind of like, the, like the, the core of a lot of Eastern traditions and most spiritual teachings is this idea that um, the I am that I am, Yahweh, Allah, whatever like whatever word you want to you wanna use, but this, this thing that people are pointing at is like God. It's this sense of timelessness, and it's almost like this experience and this space that you can experience And if you can create the practice, I think it all comes down to practices. Like words are just words. They're just, they're just fingers pointing towards something that's underlyingly true. And I think practices are a a lot more true in their experience because you're actually experiencing them. There's no question whether you experience them or not. They're true in the moment as they're happening. And that experience of timelessness, that experience of eternity, um, which I've always think of eternity as like meaning without respect for time. Um, so because you're challenging and flow state, you're challenging the body so much, just like whether it's doing business work or whether you're training complex movement or whether you're swinging a steel mace or you're swinging heavy clubs or you're hunting or you're doing like really intense breath work or you're on mushrooms or LSD in a float tank or whatever this experience of flow state where the nervous system is at this peak amplitude um, where you just don't have the capacity to bind time or to be aware of time because all your resources are directed towards the present moment. There's an interesting thing that comes up when I think about this, and it's that the more flow state that you are in, 
for sure on every measurable psychological test we have, it, it improves you. It, it improves how you experience life. But it feels like the cost of that is that you have less perceived experience of the day. Meaning mm. that because any activity that makes time go by faster, it's like there's something essential that seems to be given up to have that peak state. And it's like... The eye. Right. And the, the thing that I'm trying to get at is like, it seems to be that this life, the one that we're incarnated in, where we have a birth and a death and we're inside of an ego and we can have moments of witnessing, you know, that we are not of the world, we are just watching the world, is that it's almost like you're here to dance a dance. And the mm -hmm. dance is going to be recorded by the collective. But that when you get into a flow state, you you experience less of the dance that you're actually doing. Well, you are the dance. For sure. Yeah. And that's the peak. And I don't think, like, just um, because I'm in a, a period of my life like where I'm just kind of coming down from like working really, really crazy hours, like launching a business where... You know, like I basically had to be profitable the first month for it to work. So it was it was really energy intensive, and I was working like sixty to seventy hours um, per week, and a lot of that was spent in flow state. And flow states are really uh, metabolically demanding uh, state of consciousness to be in. Um, so I, I lost like ten pounds in that, and like I didn't have like ten pounds to lose. Um, and I was it wasn't like I stopped eating; I was still eating more, and I was eating as much as I could. And I just like I simply couldn't keep up with the metabolic demand that it was having on my body. Um, for one point of view. Yeah. So there, there is like a metabolic thing that you can only spend so much time in that state before your body just can't keep up and can't recover because so much amplitude of the, like the nervous system. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And I think like you're saying, like when you're in it, there's less, the, the eye turns off, like action and awareness merge, right? So there's no thinker thinking and then doing. There's no thinker or the thinker that thinks and prover that proves. Like that part of the brain is just turned off. It's just the doer like being in the moment doing and you're tapping into like this this form of intelligence this form of embodied intelligence that's been passed on through your dna and through the experiences of your ancestors and things that have been evolutionarily adaptive um, and i think that that's such a powerful thing to be able to tap into because they don't stay in flow state those experiences can come with you like things that i could only do because i learned how to do them in flow state because it's the optimal state for learning as well um also people who spend more time in flow state rate their life as being more meaningful for sure. there's a direct correlation between how much time you spend in flow state and how much meaning you have in life um, and i know you're really interested in like the meaning that comes from stories but there's a there's a direct meaning that comes from experience as well and those are like they said not saying that there's only ways that meaning come but those seem to me to be like the big two ways that meaning come the way you can develop yeah. more meaning in life what are your core ways that you get into flow um so I really like breath work and stuff for like kind of getting out of the mind and starting to enter into flow state. I love to swing the still mace. Um, that's, I think that's probably like my uh, number one thing, but also being in like sales meetings and like I have a pretty complicated way that I sign people up. It's very complex and it's um, very much influencing their psyche to place more value in their health um, through means that one might not perceive as truth, but it would depend on your, de your definition of truth. And it, it really... Like I feel like when I'm in like a sales consultation, a person comes in and then I'm in kind of a uh, almost like a war with who they've been for X amount of years to help them um, transform their value system to start to value their health more. 
And like, that's the, really the role that I play because um, people know they should be eating better. People know they should be moving. People know they should be meditating for the most part, but they're not doing it. So there's this transformation of value systems that has to occur for someone to um, take on new practices, right? Because like when you're changing habits, there's a, a value that has to be changed. Like if you're going from sleeping in until 9 a.m. and waking up and jacking off porn and then um, smoking weed and then, you know, watching cartoons, if you want to transform that life, those practices to someone who wakes up at, say, 5 a.m. and meditates and goes to the gym and reads a book and gets started with their work, your whole value system has to transform. It's and that's the key to any kind of other transformation that happens in the physical world. It happens like on the psyche transforming first, in my opinion. How much of that do you feel comfortable explaining? How do you get someone to change their value system? Um, honestly, I advertise free, free six-week challenge. And then there's when they get here, they, I share them the whole program. And they're, on, they're super on board because they think it's free. And at the end, I pitch them on an accountability deposit. And I tell them this accountability deposit is really important because what happened was I did run this challenge for free and we had like 25% adherence. And as soon as I put the accountability deposit on, it went up to like 87% adherence and people became really, really successful in the program. Um, so for one, one of the reasons for that is obviously I weeded a lot of people out that weren't going to do it anyways. Um, but I also got the people say, well, the way I look at it is like, say four people signed up, one of them was going to do it no matter what, one of them wasn't going to do it no matter what, and two of them were kind of up for grabs depending on how I performed in my role as a coach. Um, so what I found was once I put the accountability deposit up, um, like, for example, just like look at how humans have lived for 99.99% of our history. We would be in tribes of hunter-gatherers. So we're always, we're nomadic, first of all. We don't have any belongings, so you can't move that many things. And we're, we're in tight-knit groups, 100 to 200 people. You know everybody very deeply, very closely, um, we're traveling, chasing herds of animals, or chasing favorable climates, or chasing food that we could gather. Um, and this is our our natural way of being. This is the mode that our body has evolved to be healthy in. Um, but if you look at our modern culture, it's nothing like that, right? So that's almost like the truth of our existence. Like what makes a human healthy is to be in an environment like that. And we're no longer in environments like that right now our food's full of processed foods like we've we've learned that people really like fats and sugars and salt so we've made these concoctions regardless of like whether they're healthy or whether they're natural they contain all those things and like we've studied how to make people as addicted to them as possible and we implement those things and people make a lot of money off of those things that's that's kind of like a form of maybe dark magic you would say um but we've also um so we've fallen off nutritionally for sure but now we're sitting in chairs and we're tied into this um, computers and these technology um, things that from like some of my maybe psychedelic experiences that I feel like already maybe exist in our nervous systems and we're just like we've lost the ability to to use them and to work with them and to communicate in those ways um, so there's that we're not moving anymore most of us aren't nomadic most especially in America we always just kind of like stay put we don't travel very much um, so we're not moving around we're not moving a lot like a lot of times we don't know the people that are our neighbors we don't know the people who live in the same building as us um, so there's all these there's issues and like for me it's like okay let's define the problem before we go about solution uh, solving it. Um, so one of my one of my kind of mentors teachers his name's Frank Frensich and he wrote he wrote some books like The New Old Way and Exuberant Animal and things of that sort and he talks about this idea of evolutionary mismatch and just the fact that we're we're mismatched to our current environment and if you look back at how our value system has developed it's developed for the life of a hunter gatherer 
And for it to, for us to be healthy in the, in the with our current value system, we have to live like hunter gatherers. And if we want to live in a new way in this civilized Western culture, then we need to transform our value systems to work in this culture. And what's the thing? So it's off the top of your head. What's the one thing that everybody values, or just about everybody values in our culture, more than a hunter gatherer would? More than a hunter gatherer would. Um, Reputation? No. Fame? No. Uh, comfort? Money. Money. Yeah. So money. So this is where people have their value and everybody values their money. So when I, when I have, when I go from this transition from somebody to, when I explain this thing of evolutionary mismatch and why the reason they're not healthy is because they don't value their health essentially for most people. Um, so when I explain that concept to them and I'm like, here, I'm going to have you pay yourself back for doing this program. So I'm going to have you pay yourself because financial motivation is the most powerful motivation for successful behavior change. Um, so I put, they put up a pretty good chunk of money, 500 bucks. And then when they show up to work out and train with us three times per week, and there's like mindset training. So we have them doing meditation and um, like contemplations, like loving kindness exercises and working on setting intentions and um, all these things and like taking on a new nutrition protocol. And they have their own accountability coaches like calling them and texting them and like staying up to beat. And there's an accountability group and we're doing all these interpersonal sharings and um, like bringing people back together into that community field that like we're designed to be in. Um, and we start having them eat foods that we're designed to eat. And we have them start learning how to control their stress and control their autonomic nervous system, which most people have no control over nowadays, and it's just out of control. Um, people start to be really healthy, and they feel really good. And then once you so you get we get them in by getting them to invest their money, the thing that they already value, and like parlay that value in their money into the value in their health. And if they do the six weeks, do they get some of the money back? Yep, if they they can win all of the money back. So. They basically have a certain weight loss goal or performance goal, um, kind of very. Um, they That's have to such hit. a good idea, man. Showing up, they have to show up a certain amount of times. If you get a certain amount of practices in, a certain percentage of adherence, or a certain weight loss goal, and that they that we set, and they have to get that back. But what we found is we basically um, extend everybody into year long memberships for the most part, like 70 percent of those people. That's such a good idea. It's. It's fascinating to me, and this is something that I've learned in the last couple of years, that if you provide a service for free and you provide the exact same service with even a minimum barrier to entry financially, adherence to whatever the advice is, is higher. And it seems... If you have a really, to, high, a really high price range, then yours is going to be really high. Exactly, which is a fucking fascinating thing about like, like how can we help poor people how can we help the homeless like how can we leverage this to, to help people health. you have to sell people health essentially that's what i'm learning i've gotten so into sales and i'm like okay i'm selling people a new value system and she's like i'm not selling movement i'm not selling mindfulness i'm not selling nutrition plans i'm selling them a new value system essentially one that like, makes you- them more healthy have you had to use these techniques on yourself to get you to change some way that you saw the world? Yeah. I mean, I think creating stakes. So I think what, like, in a sense, what I'm doing, if you get into flow state, one of the things you need is to create stakes. Um, so that's why surfers get into flow stakes. They could wreck skaters, um, snowboarders, martial artists, fighters, dancers, um, swinging a mace. I get into flow stakes. I can whack myself with the, with the globe, the mace. Um, so there's that stake. And for this business, I created stakes because I didn't have the money to start a business. So like I had to start the business 
and I can say this now because like we're, we're profitable several months in a row and like, there's no financial risk anymore. Um, but I was started on credit cards that were, had to be paid the next month. Um, so it was like a huge stake. So I had to be fully immersed and value it or else it was like, like there was something bad that would happen if I didn't like bring, show up a hundred percent and dump absolutely everything I could into it. That's amazing. And then you got past that bridge of, um, maybe you could fail and now you've been profitable for multiple months. That's fucking yeah. beautiful, man. And like, I remember when you and I first started talking that like, you still lived at your parents' house. You hadn't, um, made the van yet. You hadn't started the podcast. You hadn't started traveling. You didn't learn how, like you started traveling and you were going to go travel across the country, but then you found a girl and then you, she actually ran a studio and you witnessed how all that worked and you learned a fucking tremendous amount. And then you come home and you fucking have started your business. And it's the thing that we talked about at the very beginning about what you wanted to create, which is this place that people can come together to learn how to move, to learn how to eat, to learn how to work out, but really learn how to find meaning. Yeah, totally. And that's why like the flow state stuff has been so influential to me. Um, there's this guy, are you familiar with John Vervaki? Like awakening not- to the meaning crisis? No. He has a whole YouTube lecture series. So his colleagues with Jordan Peterson at University of Toronto, he's basically taken over a lot of his role, I think. Jordan Peterson's been out traveling. And he's really in like Buddhism and flow states and cognitive science and like history of philosophy. And he's like, in my opinion, he's up there with Jordan Peterson. It's like how insightful he's been to me. Um, what was his and, name? Uh, John Vervaki. Can you spell his last name? V E R V A E. K-E, I believe. And this Awakening to the Meaning Crisis is, is, is this YouTube series that he has, but he goes really in-depth into flow states and how it's like altered states like shamanism and flow states and how that's a state of flow and like group flow states and how one person in flow state pulls the people around them into flow state. Their nervous systems are electromagnetic systems, essentially. So if I'm holding a frequency really, really strongly, then it's going to influence yours. God, I got to check this and out. Around me. Yeah, so... Flow states and the ability to essentially what we're calling holding space, but to be able to hold that state of presence, um, that eternal space and of non-duality or whatever you want to call it, or flow state. So would you say that kind of the core of your life right now is learning, studying, and figuring out how to get yourself and other people into flow states? Yeah, and then how to recover, too. (laughs) Yeah. in my life right now, man. So we're we have a, we're having a big focus on like getting into flow state through low intensity exercise, like yin yoga, for example, um, and like how deep of flows can I get in through recovery work and really slow, like working in type of tai chi stuff too. Because you get into flow state there as well, and they're I think they're different in the amount of energy that you're putting out from like a nervous system perspective. I know like when I'm doing like still maze high intensity training, a bunch of people doing a bunch of um, sales in a day, like I'm just exhausted at the end of the day. Um, and it's a challenge to recover that fully. Um, so like it's for me, I'm really like measuring my heart rate variability every morning and be like, okay, what can I do? What can I recover from? How much sleep do I need? Um, and I'm trying to get like objective feedback on like how my body's performing. Um, I've also been experimenting with uh, Paul Stamets. He has this uh, microdosing protocol. Have you heard of it? Yeah, where it's five days on, two days off. Yeah, yeah, with the psilocybin, uh, lion's mane, vitamin B3. How's that been? Incredible. How long have you been doing it? Um, I've kind of fallen off a little bit this week, um, but I was doing it for a few weeks, probably, uh, mostly five on, two off. And I, I calculate everything in my business. So like 
what's the rate of, you know, what, how much am I paying for a lead? How much money did I pay for leads that week? Um, how many of those leads that I got on Facebook scheduled to come in for a consultation? How many of those um, scheduled consultations came in and actually showed up? How many of those that showed up actually closed? How many of those closes like backed out or got a refund for some reason? Um, how many of those people finished and became year-long members? So we're calculating all this stuff. And like, I, I saw my my sales percentage of people because people were coming through thinking this is free, and then I'm pitching them on a $500 accountability deposit. And I saw that rise from about 30% to about 50%. And obviously, there's some there's some variance in that. It's not like that's the only thing that changed because obviously, lots of things are changing, and there's this constant constant flux. So it's not like a one variable experience experiment. Um, but like that's an idea of one of the things that happened. Do you just take one dose in the morning because you know it lasts for about four or five hours, or do you take two during the day? How's that? I'm experimenting, and so I've been doing bulletproof coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. So organic butter, MCT oils. I do some like cinnamon and some peptide collagen peptides all the time. So a lot of times, if I do that, I'll I'll do that, and then um, midday I've been working with Rapé a lot. Um, so currently, last few days I haven't been, but I've been trying to help myself move from cannabis. I felt like that was a really important plant teacher for me for a long time. And now I'm starting to feel like just a little bit dumb with it. And like it's not providing the same positive feelings and the learning that it was once providing me. Um, so I feel like I'm moving towards working with tobacco in like a ceremonial way. And like trying to like have like a ceremony every day, midday, because it's kind of one of my energy is crashing anyways from the coffee and the caffeine and all that around like two-ish. So when I'm experimenting with that, using that, and then also like the microdosing as well after that. Kind of using that for my power. So the, the microdose was around two or three like, p.m. Sometimes, and sometimes I do it both in the morning. I'm just trying to kind of play with it a little bit, you know. Yeah. How do you measure it? Because my understanding is that when it comes to mushrooms, where the psilocybin is distributed in the mushroom itself is not um, uniform. So when you crush scientific. them up, it's not. Yeah, it's not at all. Yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm sure my dose is But how do you go about and do it? And they're slightly different. I see. Um, I have some capsules and I just like break them up in about the same amount of each capsule. I don't even weigh it. Like, I don't I, see. I don't know if there is an exact protocol approach of like how much works well. Um, and I don't think there's enough research to make this is how much. I think um, Stamets recommends like 0.05 to 0.1 grams of psilocybin. And I kind of like, it's about this much, you know? So it's a very small amount. It's like, it's a fraction of a subperceptual dose. Like 0.2 is probably like kind of like where subperceptual comes on for most people, I think, um, depending on how strong the strain is and how much is in that, how much how concentrated it is. Um, so it's, it's a fraction of a subperceptual dose. But then when you add the and you're doing B3, 0.1. Yeah, maybe less. I'm definitely going low on the dose. And just like, in the, so the for idea sure. behind it is um, the psilocybin is, uh, creates the most efficient neural pathway possible is kind of the way that I'm understanding it um, because it's very efficient. I saw this thing. I don't know how, how true or the accuracy of it is. I didn't like fact check it or anything, but they were talking about how they put these mycelium, psilocybin mycelium in, in like these ant um, structures built by ants and the psilocybin like remodeled it into a more efficient way of building that same system. Well, like the way that the mycelium created connections was more effective at uh, For ants than Right, I see. Um, so, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's 100% true. I know that's true. It's, I saw a link to it or something and I looked into it and it was like, kind of blew my mind. And I think that's what's happening when you're using the lion's mane because it promotes the growth of nerve cells, um, essentially. So, 
psilocybin is rearranging the nervous system. The lion's mane creating new nerve cells. And the vitamin B3 is flushing it all to the ends of the nervous system. So it's flushing it through the body because it's, like it's like a delivery system. It's why you need such low doses of both lion's mane and psilocybin. And how long have you been doing this? Um, I've been playing with it for probably a month or so. Any other effects from this that you have felt so far other than the um, uptick in your of your ability to transform someone's value system? <laughs> um, I'm way more efficient in classes and teaching and coaching and all of my work. Um, I don't get so caught up on myself very much. Like I've, I've noticed a huge transformation in like how my mind's working because I have so many other things to worry about that are essentially like other people, their goals, their progress, my team, um, things like finances, all these things. It's like there's, there's not a lot of time for me to be thinking about myself. Um, so at the beginning, um, I was kind of sacrificing my self care and it was starting to show and I was starting to get stressed out and short sometimes. And that's kind of like when I got into, uh, microdosing, um, using this microdosing protocol and yeah, definitely more well being. Um, I feel like I recover faster. I feel like that um, there's just a sharpness to it. Yeah. I'm just like knowing what I need to say and being able to say it articulately without being too wordy about it. So those are some things I noticed. I noticed a deeper connection of people, um, more empathy. So what do you see going forward with... And just like what do you see going forward with where you're at right now? Like, um, what is the vision or what is the future that you want to remember? Mm, yeah. So I remember a future where uh, I'm in the process of like, we're launching, trying to launch our own CBD brand, um, um, with a friend who has kind of a CBD brand, a farm doing it all is crushing it. Um, so we're working out potentially getting a white label, potentially starting a supplement line. Um, I'm really interested in more and going into mycelium based supplements. Um, and like that, and then also online coaching. So we're re like it's Missoula movement and mindset, um, but we've kind of rebranded to make it bigger and make it soul movement and mindset. And like that's the new logo, that's the new business name that we're starting to work under. Um, so what's kind of this in-person studio is kind of trying to like grow and like an umbrella around this like in-person. This is like one manifestation of what it could be. And I think the whole idea behind this is like to build a community hub, and then to transform people's value system than to create a community like like now we're all coming together and like actually be living together at some point with the people that are like most about it most about what we're doing um and it's always been like the idea of like kind of like a retreat center a community that's like in the mountains but still connected um running like businesses things that are online um providing a ton of value and being very creative uh but not necessarily consuming a lot of value and being fulfilled with actual like practices of the things that we already have and like we already have what people are trying to sell us in a lot of ways. And just like really embodying that like in a community that's focused around ceremony and self-actualization and individuation, you know? Yeah, man. And a thing that I'm seeing more and more is uh, people who are in the realm of wanting to heal and to help, who also have overcome their stories about money and are really okay with making a lot of money it seems to be that the natural progression for all of these people is a retreat center. It's, it's to create either a retreat center or a clinic, depending on what their expertise is. But this creation of a physical structure 
that houses many healers or professionals that brings people to it. And there's this sense of community and it's, it's a archetypical goal that I'm seeing amongst more and more people in this uh, tribe. Interesting, man. That's an interesting uh, pattern to see. It just makes sense, right? Like when you see we're in this culture, I was talking about evolutionary mismatch earlier, like this culture is not healthy to, to live in. You know, like it's clear, like I think what are like 80% of people have low back pain and two out of three are overweight or obese. Um, yeah, it's wild. It's not working. We're not, we're not adapting. We're not adapted to working this way. So simply what the subconscious is putting forward is like, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm hearing all about rites of passage again. I remember like I first got into that um, and I think it was kind of like it was several years ago when I was first coming up and like now everybody's talking about rites of passage. Like, oh, yeah. Like humans need rites of passage to transition in stages in their life. And then and it's like, oh, and that's like you can't really do a rite of passage without a community. Because there has to be the community that's doing, that's performing the rite of passage, or else it's just like an experience that's disconnected from their real life. And there's people doing that all around, but I don't think it's really the same. So you need the foundational community that puts the people through the rite of passage, essentially, and can like transition and like live in a healthy way. And there has to be like a shared belief, value system more than belief system. So I don't think it, I think we're, I think the practices are way more important than the stories. What you do is way more important than what you say. For sure. I think the the bridge to get someone to do is the story. Yeah. It inspires motivation and action. But also experience motivates itself too. Yeah, it's more like, you know, you know how do you get the engine started? You know, you gotta give it some fire, but once it has fire, it can keep going as long as it has fuel. Yeah, totally. And once somebody knows how to start a fire, they can keep starting fires. For sure. And I've also have been connected more and more to the power and the need for more initiation rituals. Like it really yeah. seems to be that yeah, that is one of the core missing aspects of our modern culture. It's like groups of people getting together with the intention of becoming intensely uncomfortable for some idea or for some purpose or for some cause. And, um, witnessing a transformation in themselves because they're more capable than they think they are. Like truly one of the saddest things about our culture is that a huge percentage of people truly believe that they don't have the power, that they don't have. Yeah, people are very unempowered for sure. Disempowered. Yeah, man. And there's very few things like an intentional initiation ritual to remind you that you are so much more capable than you think you are. Mm -hmm. Totally. I 100% agree. Um, and I'm also kind of learning that that can be taken into daily practices too. You know, like it doesn't have to be super intense. Yeah, like man. to get Amen. a really transformational experience, it can come slowly. Like I've been working with Rafe and it's like a plant medicine, um, essentially tobacco, my pacho, which is like really strong to form of tobacco. And I've been using it a lot of times midday, kind of daily. And it's painful, man. I don't know. Have you ever used it? Uh, once and yes, it is painful. Yeah. So it's like intentionally going into that pain with an intention and like, it's considered to be a kind of an amplifier of intention. So you bring this intention of like what you want to gain more clarity or insight about and you hold that intention and it's almost like something opens up and begins to speak with you. Like as if it was a teacher, you know, and it's, it's kind of like this conglomeration of like the spirit of this plant, but also your own intelligence and your own, 
history, perhaps, you know, like what, what you're and more from just like your individual history, but like your genetic history and your ancestral history and the things that are like stored and coded into your DNA. And it's like, you, you kind of get this opportunity to tap into them and pain is one of the things that kind of breaks through the ego. Yeah, man. Because the ego doesn't take very much pain. Amen. Can you walk us through step by step, like what your ritual is with, uh, you call it rape? Rape? Rape, yeah. And it's like, um, people don't normally call it that in America because it sounds like rape. So um, I call it hape when I'm talking to people about it normally. Yeah, That's like the sure. Portuguese way of saying it. Um, but the, the way they pronounce it, the way I've always heard it pronounced, like in the Northern Colombia and stuff like that, it's rape. Um, but I think in Portuguese, it's hape. Yeah. I mean, in like, it's a, it's a reasonable thing to make that adjustment when you're bringing it back to Western culture based on the, the other word. It's very simple. Like, um, my, my ritual has been, I've been so much indoors, which is like weird to live in Montana and this is the best time of year to be outdoors, but I'm working so much. I'm always in my studio. Um, but I'm pretty blessed to have a really cool studio. It's got, got these big vaulted ceilings and I have like a bunch of Himalayan pink sea salt lamps. So I'll turn those on. I have some like surround sound set up in the room. So I'll put on some like, I'll put on Perengi a lot and, um, that really, I guess, ayahuasca album, um, it really gets me kind of in the zone and For I'll just sure, kind of sit man. there and I'll offer prayer prayer and intention just kind of holding it and like being there with it and then i'll ask for guidance i'll ask for um, whatever it might be and then basically um it's like a, a curepe you use like a curepe or a tepi you blow into someone else's nose and like administer to someone else or a curepe like goes out your mouth and then up your nose um so you blow that the, you kind of choose your dose size how big you want to go with how much how much intention you want to make it and you know, when I've worked with like shamans in the Amazon or like Colombian shamans, like they like blew some serious tobacco <laughs> on my nose. Yeah. And that was, was painful, man. Like that was intense. It's like not even like almost like a bit of an out of body experience because it was so much. Um, and I don't use doses like that. I don't think that that's necessary on a daily basis or maybe even um, beneficial. Um, so I'm using smaller doses, but there's enough to bring like tears to my eyes, essentially. So like whatever emotion, because like, one of the things like my coping mechanisms to numb a lot of things. Yeah. And I was like, I recently went through a breakup and I had like so much stuff going on in my life. My, my dad got really sick and my mom was sick and I was sick. Like when I was launching this business, one of the things that happened was that I got really bad fevers for about two weeks and I was having to do all the sales because I didn't have any choice, but I had to make the sales. And like, it was hard for me to keep my eyes open at times. Wow. So it was like just like completely going through the gauntlet of like, okay, you made this decision and then your health failed you immediately. And all these things started to come collapsing all around. And it was like, can you like hold through it and like stay strong through it and like just keep going? Um, so that pain, like that, that feeling of like I had I numbed a lot of things because I like action was necessary. I had to be able to do and like work through things. And I didn't really have time to dwell on the emotions. Yeah, man. By the time I was going through a breakup and I had like um, a lot of health issues going on around me and um, just some other issues with just stuff going on, like life happening. And I was just kind of numb for a while. And I found myself kind of defaulting into old patterns of being kind of numb and getting triggered easily and being like very sharp. Um, and this, I've been working with Rappé quite a bit over the past few weeks. That's all, all it's really been, um, that I've like really been doing it frequently. And it's allowed me to enter into that more emotional space in an environment that's curtailed for it and then to come back out of it and go back into getting shit done. And the beautiful thing that I hear in that, man, that I just want to commend you on is the ability to see when you're using, again, old coping patterns that you used when you were unconscious 
and to use that as a sign of I need to take a step back from the actions that I'm doing in my life and start to really look at what am I ignoring and how can I refocus because these old patterns are a flag to me that I'm that I'm unconscious right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was definitely a state that's easy to get into when you're not like, I wasn't getting the self-care and I wasn't doing all those things. So like, I, it's funny because I always tell people like, yeah, you have, it's your values to me. You have the time. Everybody has the same amount of time. You can make it happen. Uh, but I, as soon as I started telling people that I had to like experience what it was like to like hundred percent feel like I didn't have the time. Yeah. And it made a very reasonable case that I didn't have the time. Cause like, it wasn't like that I had free time. I was like missing out on sleep. I was like trying to meditate and it was just like a million things would come up and I couldn't get into that space really. Um, and I, my movement practice was just teaching classes because I was teaching like 10, 12 classes per week. Damn. Um, yeah. So it was just, it was super intense, man. And I remember like before I even went into it, I have this like sit spot up behind, um, behind my parents' house where I would go and like hike up to when I was like staying with them last winter um, for, like, I think I was there for a month or two. And I would hike up there every day in the cold and I would like Wim Hof and I would sit there and I'd, I'd done it in the spring and kind of always had this little spot, this rock circle with this little um, pillar that I'd built. And I was like, it was almost like a, a space where I had insights. I would go up there, I might smoke a little bit of weed, swing my mace on the way up. And then I would do kind of like a mace flow and I'd do some breath work when I got there. And it was just like kind of a, a space that I'd cultivated to like find insights. Yeah. And like one of the last insights that I had was like, this is going to be like the most challenging. It was like almost like my soul was speaking to me. Like, this is like going to be the most challenging three months of your life. It's going to push you to your absolute limits, but you have everything you need to like make it through. And it, yeah, it's been intense, man. That is one of the best, but also simultaneously one of the scariest motherfucking feelings that you can feel is when your soul is basically talking to you and it's saying, this thing is about to be the hardest thing you've ever done, but you have the tools. You can guarantee what that means is you're going to get to the point where you feel, where you genuinely feel like you're done that you are completely like worn out. There's nothing left I can do. I'm finished. And then you realize that you have a little bit more, but like the words, you have to keep going. The words will never convey that feeling. And that feeling is you truly feel like you're at your end and there's no way to fake that. And then it's like your soul is just waiting at that gate and being like, nah, bitch, you got fucking way more power in you. And yeah, I think seeking yeah, those moments, even though me, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah, man, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of been a big experience because like there's just a lot of a lot of turmoil happening at that time too. And I was like, okay, well, I was like, felt like green light to go for it, you know? Like it was like synchronicity that kind of lined up for me to be able to get a space and get into a space really rapidly when I got back to Missoula. It seemed like that was like my soul was telling me that everything was just like making it happen. Like, all right, well, I'm gonna do it then, you know. And yeah, it was basically what it's what it said would happen and happen. And like, I'm I'm on I'm on like I hit that peak. I feel like a couple weeks ago, and like I'm starting to come downhill. Like I'm still working the long hours, but like my team's starting to function, and I'm going to do like a. You remember you were gonna be Rafe. I'm going to Rafe's uh, Evolve Move Play like Return to the Source Dope. event this next week. Actually, I'm leaving next Friday, and I'm gonna be gone for like nine days. And my team set up. I have all my classes covered. Um, I have a guy doing one of my um, top guys is like doing sales now. He's been closing a few sales. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna see how they how it runs without me. Dude, it is fucking stupid and incredible that you're already getting to the point where you're able to see if your business can run without you. Congratulations, man. That's fucking 
Oh, that's a big mark for someone yeah. who runs a business. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's a big thing, man. And it was kind of like, it's what I've been preparing for. I've kind of already had it in a deadline. Like and I've been telling everybody, this needs to run without me. This needs to run without me. Um, that's like a business. If it doesn't run without you, it's not really a business it's a job. And I feel like I have a big job still Amen. ahead of me for getting this thing to where I want it to be. Um, but it's, it's becoming more of a business. So tell me about the podcast. You mentioned before that you were um, going to restart your podcast. Um, just can you kind of tell me that story and what you plan on doing? Yeah. So previously the podcast was called Reality Tunnels. And it's kind of like that play on Robert Anton Wilson's work of this idea that we all have different perspectives. Um, and I think I was at a place when I started that where I needed more perspective in my life. I needed more ways of looking at things and seeing the world than I want. And I traveled a lot in the Northwest and I, and I got that. I got a lot of new perspectives that were really challenging to me and really forced me to transform. Um, and I think that I'm a lot more open-minded now and I'm a lot more capable of adapting to different ways of looking at the world. And I see merit in a lot more ways of looking at the world. Um, but now I think that there's this process of individuation that's been happening with me and like integration to whereas I'm like, I'm doing the six week mountain fit challenge now in my studio. I'm bringing people in to prepare them for hunting season because July and August are the worst time of the year, especially where I live for gyms and studios. Everybody wants to be outside because it's beautiful out. Nobody wants to be in a gym. Um, so what I did was like, okay, like in this two months, like hunters need to be getting ready for hunting season. So kind of like I've been targeting them, which is like my whole, whole business was mountain fit the hunter's fitness solution. So basically what I did is I integrated that old thing that I had no idea how to tie in. And I was kind of like, it's been frustrating and stressing me as it's been kind of collapsing over the past couple of years, um, or maybe the past year, I want to say a couple of years. Uh, as that thing's kind of been like collapsing, I'm like, oh, I built this thing and now it just doesn't seem to fit in anymore. So I've been able to kind of pull that in. And then I was really getting into trying to sell CBD and distribute CBD for a while. And then that kind of like went kind of spiraled into a dead end. But now I'm like, I'm trying to pull that back in. And I had this, the podcast reality tunnels and like, that was awesome. And I was having these epic experiences and I was like loving it so much and then it kind of started to diminish. And like, I didn't know where I was going to go with it or what the meaning, I haven't put out a podcast in a year, but now I'm like, Oh, I was just learning to podcast. Those were all the little projects that were like are going to allow me to do the project now, which is the big one, which integrates them all, which integrates like all of me, instead of me being fractionated into these little niches and trying to like connect with just hunters or to connect with just people that are into movement and psychology. It's like trying to do something a little bit bigger that's encompassed by soul, movement, and mindset. And is that going to be the name? Yeah, I love it, man. Like it's it's so cool to see how you've evolved over the last couple of years. Like you fucking are a testament to what happens when someone actually says yes to the call to adventure and fucking dives all the way in. Yeah. Thank you, dude. Yeah, man, it's been, it's felt like it's been like turmoil. I have just been like getting blown around in a tornado and it was like, it was super challenging. Like it's super, super hard to like be in that state and like not know where you're going and just like trying to like, just like stay with it and like still do the things you know you need to do. It's definitely like pushed me to the point where I was like kind of quit multiple times and I quit all the things. Like I quit the podcast essentially. I quit the mountain fit. I was like, all these things were quitting, but they all had that. That was also part of the process too. Cause like I was just thought of myself as someone who like wouldn't quit and didn't quit and then give up. And like, that was like a part of the, maybe the shadow integration was like the integrating the quitter in a way. And like uh, those things had to quit so that they can move on to new things. Those those had to end so the new, the new beginnings could come. Absolutely. But yeah, man, I, yeah, man, I, 
I appreciate this conversation. I, every time I have a conversation with you, it's always very insightful. And it, like, it forces some serious reflection. So there's there's a thing that you do, like a way about your being and a sense of healing that like you call reflection out of people by your curiosity. Thank you, brother. And that's, that's really cool, man. something that I hope to continue on the podcast. Before we go, I'm curious, what are three things that you are grateful for and why? Um, I don't know, like there's this, there's this idea. Um, one of my, he's, he's a, an acupuncturist and it kind of just came up to me. Like, we did that, we did a full moon ceremony and we were doing a circle of word and he was talking about how gratitude is like the, the soil that, um, that love grows in essentially. So like thinking about gratitude in that way, and it's immediately when you like, which is like I do the gratitude practice all the time and I always have things to come up with and it's like it's something that I do like almost on a daily basis. But immediately when you said that, I was like, oh, there was, there was like a little part of me that wanted to rebel against it and then like be like I'm grateful for all things rather than just like three things. And it's like almost experienced as a state of being, like gratitude as a state of being rather than like having to be grateful for a thing. Just to experience like maybe so like maybe like life. Um, I mean, that's the first thing. I'm, I'm grateful for life and I'm grateful for like all the ups and downs that come with it and all the perspective that we're allowed to build and um, just the transformation of self and consciousness that occurs throughout life. If you allow it to occur, even if you don't allow it to occur, if you try to <laughs> yeah. hold back from it, try to it and just try to hold on as much as you can and like not let things change, like it's still going to happen. Goddamn right. Um, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for like catabasis, like the destruction, the time of ashes where um, for me, I feel like I, I learned who I was and I learned a lot of things about myself that I, that I couldn't accept in any other state of being besides for that one. Um, and I'm grateful to have integrated those things and I'm grateful to be able to see those things that I saw about myself and other people and not even be triggered by them. Like not be emotionally triggered at all. I'm just like seeing them as a part of what is. Um, and I'm grateful for you in this conversation as well, man. Like it's, like it's always insightful. I'm grateful for the relationship that we've had um, and the ways that it's allowed me to grow. Because there's not a lot of people that um, have been able to offer me as good of advice as you have and as much of a global perspective and awareness on what, what I'm experiencing and to be able to pull it into myths and stories and things that are relatable um, where I can kind of see myself in, in a situation that's, that's bigger than me. I can see outside of my own eyes um, sometimes when we're having conversations. And I would say that I've been extremely grateful for that as well. Dude, I fucking love you. I'm so glad that I could have been any piece in helping the man that you are come into the world. I can see that you're going to help a lot of people and we're going to continue to do this dance until, you know, we die. And I appreciate that um, we have found each other along the way. And our virtual relationship of lots of phone calls. <laughs> It'll be physical soon. Funny how that works, man. Two psyches interacting. Well, brother, I hope you have a beautiful day and thank you again for coming on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Much love and have an awesome one, dude. And thanks for having me on. I want to have you on mine when I launch it. Um, maybe I'll have to use the same app that you're using. I'm ready. <laughs>